Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop from the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the downs and further downs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald and my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? Will, it's, it's gone better, but we're here. Uh, the Kings are also here, so I guess let's do what we do and, and talk about what happened the last two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. He's a, uh, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana basketball hall of famer, the true pride of French Lake himself, and the man who has been tortured longer than 90% of everyone else left in the fan base, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, an absolute pleasure to have you. Well, it's uh, great to be with you guys. Uh, certainly not necessarily great to be talking about the Kings, but uh, hey, the way I look at it, I'm going to be 35 until I die. That's my stance. <laughs> I'm catching up with you, Jerry. I'm, I'm terrified. You and I are about to be the same age. <laughs> Uh, well, gentlemen, it's a new year in the same old Kings. Uh, the Kings have started January uh, one and four, having lost those four straight consecutively. And while uh, De'Aaron Fox has seemingly found his offensive rhythm, the rest of the team has begun to falter. Rashawn Holmes isn't, hasn't been available for a while. Uh, he's, he's in COVID protocol. Harrison Barnes has returned into his, uh, his role as the invisible man. So, Jerry, we're officially halfway through the season or just a little bit over halfway through the season. Is it too soon to say that the wheels have fallen off the wagon for the Kings? Well, they're off right now. There's no doubt about it. Those wheels are, are completely off and they're, they're not even on the rims right now. But uh, yeah, it's very, very disappointing to see that where this team is. And, you know, I'm one of those people that felt the talent base was better than what Dave Yeager had uh, a couple, several years ago. And I, I still believe that, but it, it hasn't fit nearly as well for various reasons and the, and the record proves it. That's one thing about the, the NBA, uh, you know, they have that one loss column and that's, that's the analytics that really count. And it really tells you the most about this team. And right now it's, you know, playing at a 31, 32 win kind of clip. And uh, the thing that I always watch is the, the margin uh, of, of victory or defeat. And now it's a, you know, minus four. And that's, that's significant. That, uh, you know, basically tells you that your team isn't very good. Uh, <laughs> where, I, you know, a, a month ago, it was significantly better than that. So they're heading the wrong direction, for sure. Yeah, what do you think Monty McNair and the, uh, and the front office staff are thinking right now? Are they in the same boat as you? Or do they see hope where uh, regular fans like me and Tony or, or former GMs like you might, might not see it? I would, would hope that it'd be hard to think that uh, they can believe this roster as it currently stands is going to go anywhere much. It's not to say you can easily make the case. Well, they'll uh, play at a better clip the second half of the season, things of that nature. Uh, but how much better? Well, <laughs> it'd be hard to, to even kid yourself into thinking you're going to play at a, you know, a, a, a 25 and 15 clip uh, the second half kind of the season. And I just uh, was telling Tony, I said one thing, the Kings have already played 23 home games. You know, they played six more home games than the San Antonio Spurs, for instance. Those are, those are, that's a difference. And so they've got themselves in a hole and yeah, yeah, they can play better and they can win more at a, a better rate. But the point is it's at, Right now, you'd have to say it's not going anywhere. Sure. You know, it's just not going anywhere uh, with this current roster. Uh, and so you, to, to fans, I think the fans, uh, I can't imagine very many fans thinking, boy, let's just, let's just keep these guys together for two or three years and, and have group hugs every now and then. Sure. Tony, the Kings are uh, four and a half games out of the ninth spot in the West, and they're also four and a half games out of the worst spot in the West. Um, as a fan, where, where are you at with all this? Well, like Jerry said, they could finish the end of the year on a bit of a of a winning streak, right? They did it last year. They won, I think, went something like nine and five in the last fourteen games or something. That those numbers probably aren't exactly accurate, but they picked up some cheap wins at the end of the year when teams are resting, players are tanking, or whatever. What I find alarming about this stretch is 
they're playing those games right now. I mean, that team they lost to last night, Portland, was missing CJ McCollum. They are missing Dame Lillard. They are missing Norman Powell. These are already the depleted rosters that you like to beat up on at the end of the year to beef up your record. And you're getting routinely, routinely blown away by teams that are missing their best players. This, And to me, that's the reason why this feels worse than... I don't know if you could say worse than it's ever felt, but this is bad in a in a different type of way. Uh, this is this is a Kings team, and you've got Alvin Gentry coming out and saying it. Like uh, I think it was maybe Sean Cunningham or James Ham. Someone asked him about how they haven't been able to take advantage of these games uh, against teams who are missing their star players, and, and Gentry said it himself too. Like it's it might be better if they're playing. Like we can't we are not taking advantage of these depleted rosters, and uh, if you're not going to beat those teams. I don't know what what other indication, if you're Monty McNair, that you're looking for. This isn't working. Other than other than that, you you can't be losing to G leaguers and end of the rotation guys every single night by 15, 20 points. I, I don't know. It's it's not good. I mean, really, they're a Chemezi Metu buzzer beater uh, uh, against Dallas and uh, a two point win against uh, a really really depleted Miami Heat team away from losing seven straight. Jerry, there's got to be something here that the Kings can do. Uh, it, it, internally, at least, before we get to a talk on the trade deadline, if you were a coach, what are you saying to the team right now? What What are you trying to get in their head uh, during maybe the worst stretch of basketball this season? Well, I, I certainly would would want to focus on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I still think that's the one. If there is a consistent thing about the Kings, it's been their poor poor defense has been consistent. I mean, you could pretty much count on them being a poor defensive team every night. I mean, there's nights, there has been nights when they were a little better than others, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's like uh, the last night's Portland game, you know, it's like, geez, uh, they scored 113 points or whatever it was. And uh, with those guys, uh, so I, I would, you know, basically say we, we have got to shore it up and, and that starts, you know, Hey, I, it, it's everybody that plays. I mean, it starts at the guard line. The guard line really is, is as much as I like Halliburton and, and Fox. I mean, their, their defense has been really uh, depressing. And then, you know, and then it just goes from there. And, uh, you know, of course, I, this team certainly a defensive effort has missed Holmes because he always gives great effort, at least. Sure. Uh, but, but uh, so anyway, I'd start with defense. And, you know, and then I might, you know, want to talk to a couple of guys, especially Buddy, you know, and kind of, you know, uh, you know, just I think with him, sometimes it seems like he's competing with his teammates as opposed, you know, I was I was an old saying, you know, a, a star doesn't compete with other stars. It just shines. <laughs> and and I think, uh, you know, with Buddy, he needs to be reminded of that. I, I, I just and I, I could be totally off base here, but I, I really feel like that uh, his game right now has gotten to the point where it's on its own, its own basis, so to speak, without really fitting into the team. But, you know, he's just out there look, looking for threes and chucking and doing some chucking. Is that a matter, Jerry, of, of he, he knows, you know, the end is nigh, that, that he's probably on the trade block and that he's just looking to get his as many shots as possible on a bad team before he goes to a, a different team that might utilize him in a way where he might not get nearly as many shots? Oh, I think it is. I think you're exactly right. I, I think it would be impossible for a player not to know what's going on with all the rumors out there. And, and they've certainly made it clear in the past trades they had tried to make with him. And so he, he has to be aware of that. But having said that, I mean, he's not the first player that's been rumored to be traded. What I think what he needs to be made aware of is that you're a professional. Uh, this is part of the league. Uh, and you need to play as a professional. Obviously, you know, this isn't help you know, or, you know, just reminders of him and his, you've got to be reminded that you're a professional and a career, your career is at stake here. Not just, not just the next 10 minutes on the court here. Uh, you're, you're a much better player than you're playing and uh, you owe it to yourself. I mean, forget the Kings, you owe it to yourself because ultimately every player is an individual contractor in some way or another. Now they're supposed to come together for a common goal, 
but uh, but the, but he here's a case where he needs to understand that that yeah you're you're being marketed so to speak uh, and I if I were a coach or front office I would certainly not that they haven't but I would say look buddy yeah these you know we're we're definitely looking to make moves and uh, it's something that hopefully would help us and help you I mean I. I always felt like the best thing to do uh, with a player that's being shopped is tell them the truth, <laughs> tell them the truth. And then, uh, you know, and then it's up to them to deal with it. Jerry, was there ever a point when you told the player that and he did not respond well to it? Probably the only one I can think of was a young player named Travis Mays. Uh, and, uh, but I, you know, basically just felt that uh, it wasn't going to work. And, uh, you know, basically said, Hey, you know, this could be a, it's not going to work here for you because you're not a point guard. Even if you think you are in our opinion. And uh, so, you know, we're looking to move you and, and look for a, a legitimate, more legitimate point guard. And of course we did, but he didn't, you know, he kind of thought, saw himself as a star and that's why I made the move. And of course he was out of the league in about two years, but uh, that was for, for, for Spud Webb, in fact, and of course, Spud was an awfully good player uh, here. And then I always remember talking to Lionel Simmons. We'd I'd tried to trade him, and but we were in a process trading for uh, Detlef Shrimp, and I, I told him that basically what was going on, and uh, he was okay with it, you know, and he handled it well because he's a pro, you know, and a good guy, and uh, so. But it didn't go through for other reasons, sadly. <laughs> you know, which, uh, but uh, so anyway, there's a, I just want to stay on this byline a little bit with just a little bit of a different player here. I mentioned Harrison Barnes at the top and I wanted to come back to it. Uh, Tim Maxwell tweeted something out today that put into perspective just how hard Barnes's regression has been over the last few months. He listed out um, October, October through uh, January's points per game stats, which is, you know, it's a, it's a small thing, but it's something significant when you point out that, in October, he was averaging 23.3 points uh, per game. November, it dropped to 17 points per game. Um, December, it went down to 14 points per game. And in January, he's averaging less than 11 points a game. Um, on top of that, last year, the Kings outscored opponents uh, per 100 possessions by uh, 5.7 points with Barnes on the floor. But this season, they're being outscored by 8.3 points with him on the floor, which is the worst mark on the team. Uh, just kind of in the similar in a similar stance for uh, for Buddy, is this a matter of uh, just a slump, or is this something where Barnes sees the writing on the wall? How how are we supposed to take this in regards to Barnes and and his struggles of late? You know that's great. I, I, that's really a tough one, I think, with with Barnes because I, I do think he's a real pro, and I don't think there's a selfish bone in his body. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say it about Buddy. I think there's several selfish bones <laughs> yeah, in his body. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think with Harrison, you know, he, he really is, to my mind, has suffered as Harrison, uh, I mean, uh, as, uh, as uh, Halliburton, excuse me, as Halliburton and, uh, and Fox have got their a, so-called offensive A games going better. You know, as, as they have, uh, as, and probably Fox more than Halliburton, but, uh, you know, because really De'Aaron, can, as he's scoring, it really it doesn't open up a lot of opportunities for others to be truthful. And so I, I think that he is, uh, he more than any other player has suffered, you know, and not because they've, you know, it's a, they're missing him on purpose, but they are looking for their shots more. And so that all gives him less opportunities. And then, uh, uh, then Buddy, of course, is, is Buddy, and he's not worried about much of anybody uh, except <laughs> getting some, <laughs> get, 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 chucking some things up there. But uh, which, so, so I think he's, I think he's just kind of the, and he's, you know, he's not the kind of guy to make demands or anything like that. That's one of his strengths. It's also a weakness. You know, he's one of those yeah. guys who could fit in with really good players on really good teams because he's that way. And on a bad team, he, he really, it hurts him because uh, he's willing to fit in with lessers. <laughs> Tony, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I, I'm, I, I don't know about you, but for me, in October, he's averaging 23.3 points a game. He's playing like an NBA all-star. I always expected a regression back to a bit of Harrison Barnes. 
And I feel like this has gone from regressing back to regular Harrison Barnes to he just he's just continued to backslide and he's headed towards Mo Harkless territory here. And it's like we're trying to ask him to pump the brakes and get back to to speed. I'm curious from from your perspective, Tony, um, where are you with all this Harrison Barnes stuff and, and, and the way he's been playing of late? I think a couple things are going on with Harrison Barnes. Number one, this is kind of who he is. He's had a heart. He had, he has hot starts and cools off. He did the same thing last year. Um, he, you know, he's doing the same thing this year. Other part of it is when he was playing well at the beginning of the year, he was playing primarily at the four. It was with more Harkless in the starting lineup. Now you've shifted things around. You've got Tremezi Metu in at the four. You've got Marvin Bagley in at the four, where I think he has less of an offensive advantage at the three. Uh, he's quicker than a lot of fours, but at the, at the three, if you're facing another long three, you know, Barnes isn't the most athletic player in the world. And honestly, you know, Marvin Bagley takes a lot of shots too. So, he, you know, he takes more shots than Mo Harkless. So I think when Jerry's talking about guys in the offense, finding their spot, you throw in Marvin, but you take out a very low usage player in Mo Harkless and you throw in, in Tremezi Metu and Mo Harkless, two fours who love to shoot. Those guys love shooting the ball and they rarely pass. Harrison Barnes's production is going to go down. So you have the fact that he's a, a natural hot starter and, and he cools off coupled with the fact that now he's playing with guys who shoot the ball more and he's not a selfish guy. So he will kind of uh, submit to those guys offensively a little bit. Those are, you know, that's kind of where I feel like he's going wrong here. But I would also say, I guess the good news is because he's such a moldable player, because he can slot in anywhere, because it doesn't matter where in like the offensive hierarchy he fits into, what he is is still a pretty good, versatile wing who's shooting above 40% from three on a lot of attempts. And what the Kings should be doing with him, in my opinion, is looking for trades. And he can fit in with any team, anywhere. And he still has very attractive numbers. When you talk about a, a big wing, can play the four or the three. He's still shooting 40%, above 40% from three. And he's, you know, from the Kings' perspective, this is, uh, he's only got one year under contract after this year. So I think this is, for all the reasons that we've talked about, in my opinion, the perfect time to try and move him. This team isn't really going anywhere. His impact is, is not being felt like it might on a better team. And his numbers aren't so bad where, where you've got teams wondering if he can still play. I think it's, it's pretty clear Harrison Barnes can still play. It's just not happening here, and it's not happening right now. I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree with everything there. You know, and, and going back to, to Harrison, I mean, he is a really good player. Yeah. And he, and, and he really should be a fourth or fifth guy, uh, you know, maybe fourth, fifth, sixth for that matter. But, uh, and, and I think he can be that on a good team. Uh, but like I say, with this team, you know, they're, unless they're going to change how they, you know, really look to him and, and, you know, probably they should, they should make, try to make sure that he, if he's here, that he's uh, being, you know, basically getting more opportunities, as Tony pointed out. I mean, uh, Bagley and Metu, I mean, no, they should fit in more than, than he should fit in. But that's not what's happening. We're moving this direction, so I'll just go ahead and, and, and start talking about uh, – we're getting towards, uh, we're getting towards uh, the NBA trade deadline here. At time of discussion, we're exactly one month away before that February you know, 10th NBA trade deadline. So I want to bring up something that was reported last week by Sam Amick. Um, he mentioned that uh, with the Kings barely holding on to the 10th spot in the water down West, they're still highly motivated to make the kind of significant moves that would both bolster their postseason chances in the present while giving them a runway for sustained success in the future. More specifically, sources say that Kings owner Vivek Ranadive has continued to make it clear to McNair that he has the green light to do. And this, this is the part that everybody gets hung up on that we talked about this whole week, whatever is necessary to meet those goals. Okay. So I don't think we need to say, I don't think I need to ask if a deal needs to be made in your expert opinions here, what kind of deals need to be made, Jerry? Well, I, you know, certainly anything that could improve the team uh, in the future, more, more so than right now. Uh, I mean, I think that, that that's where this is heading. I mean, uh, should your goal be to, to make major moves so you can uh, try to get the 10th spot. I, I don't think so at the expense of uh, getting older, <laughs> you know, sure. I think you really do uh, any moves you, you make now, I think has to be looking at the youth part of it, whether uh, getting more picks, getting younger players with potential, uh, that sort of thing. And, and 
you know, the old thing. I mean, I read all the uh, comments on on the hair on the Herald, and I mean, really, people got a lot of great ideas and all. I, I mean, I think the problem that Monty has, and of course, I thought it struck me a little funny that he's got the green light. Why wouldn't he have had the green light? The day he was hired, I, <laughs> I don't quite understand that. Uh, I'm afraid the green light might actually turn red at any moment. Uh, but uh, but but I think you know. To me, you look at the roster now, and 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 I would say, yeah, there's a couple of guys you really would want to hold on to unless you got a got something really really uh, sparked your interest. In which, but but I wouldn't say anybody's untradeable on this team. There just isn't. And the problem I think the Kings have, and I agree with many of the uh, comment, commentators and writers and things, is that the value right now is pretty low. I, I mean, the idea that you can go get Demonis Sabonis for Elmer Fudd and Joe Fiduzel, I mean, you're not going to do that. You know, I mean, the, the Pacers are, are, are want to do stuff, but that guy's a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, if you plugged him – you know, if you plugged him in on the Kings roster right now and, and kept all the good players, the Kings are good. <laughs> the Kings could be good. <laughs> but that's, the, you know, that's the, the, to me, that's kind of the, 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 the problem. I mean, you want to keep certain guys and yeah, and, and you should unless you can get a really good deal. But I think it's going to be tough for Monty. Uh, you're going to have to take some risks. And I think and the risk should be. Uh, getting younger and getting picks simple as that I mean that that's really about it getting younger and I mean and, and with the idea that the younger guys if you're are guys that you believe can be get better you know I mean no, don't just get younger guys to get younger because that serves no purpose either but it's young guys you think you know really have potential to step out there and be players and you know and then certainly with the COVID stuff we've seen a lot of young guys getting opportunities that didn't before or starting around their games you know in the you know so anyway that, that'd be my thought. Jerry I think Joe Fiduzel has a, uh, a no trade uh, clause in his contract so I don't think he, he probably does <laughs> I, I think he might even be a max player I don't know <laughs> I mean in, the, in today's game you know if yeah. you may score 12 points a game and all that he probably his agent expected a max deal <laughs> tony tony where are you at in all of this yeah i mean based on my harrison barnes answer you could probably guess that i'm very much ready to get rid of a lot of these veterans and that might sound harsh but you know i'm i'm only keeping fox halliburton and mitchell at this point and like jerry said no one's untouchable so i'd even move them if the right trade came along but the reason why i, I answer the question like that is because um if this, this team is not showing that they deserve Monty McNair to add talent to it, if this was the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Minnesota Timberwolves, those are young teams that are like fighting and competing and they're in the mix and you're like, hey, you know, I know we're a young team, but we our guys are showing some fight. Let's support them and add some good players to it. To, at this point, you know, adding Ben Simmons to this team is like, why? They haven't earned that. Adding DeMont Sabonis to this team, they haven't earned that. They haven't, there's, there's no trust there that if you bring in more talent, that these players are going to take you somewhere that you want to go. At this point, they've, they've failed basically every test this season with all the bad teams they've lost to. I, I couldn't think of a, a general manager in their right mind, like adding talent to this group. They have not earned the right for a playoff run to me. And that's what it comes down to. What they, their play has told me that we've got to move guys out and get younger and try again next year. It has not said that we need to add guys to this roster and make a playoff run. That, that has not been earned to me. So I'm, I'm very much in favor of, of moving as many of these older players as you can and bringing in new players and, and trying again next year with a young, exciting team. I'll ask this of both of you. Is there just a, just for a little bit of a advocacy from the devil here, is there any hope for this team if Monty trades around the fringes at the trade deadline? Or is there any hope for him pushing in all of his chips for a star? Any hope for sustained success or even a short run to the eight seed? Or are we talking here that it, the, the goose is cooked, you know, it, it, we can stick a fork in it. It's done for this season. Well, I think the scary part is if you, you know, you make the great point. I mean, if you push in all your chips, uh, basically you, you, you use your assets, your actual assets, yeah. not the assets that you 
somebody wants you to have, <laughs> or, or as fans, we think you have sometime, but your actual assets, well, that's what it would take to get another player of real talent. So by lo losing, you know, losing significant assets to get another asset, well, that's, you know, the, the, I'm not sure where that takes you. Uh, you know, it just makes you different. Uh, and then, of course, that's like, you know, around and then same thing of moving around the fringes. You know, I mean, you you uh, move Dellen Wright for Tristan Thompson. Well, what'd that do? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I sort of understood it at the time to try and get minutes for for uh, Davion. But I mean, those are I mean, it's not that Tristan's not an NBA player. He is. And so is Dellen Wright. But I mean, those those are things that that you say, look to next year, uh, you know, you, it's gotta be, gotta be significant stuff, you know, that, uh, that you can say, well, we got a chance. We've got this couple of these young guys that, uh, we think can be good. We don't know, but we think they can with the assets, you know, the, the few assets we have, and then maybe some extra picks and hopefully, uh, certainly Monty has drafted well. And, and hopefully that continues or use those picks to actually get another asset. Uh, you know, at some point, like I say, you, you, you've got to, you know, it, it's not going to be a, an easy task, but uh, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. I would just say like the Kings have some very valuable pieces in the form of draft picks if they wanted to trade those. But how how could a general manager trust a team that can't beat the Blazers without McCollum, Lillard, and Powell? How can you trust that team to go bring in a big piece and, and mortgage your future assets in those trade in those draft picks? I think that'd be the most like we talk about, you know, job security. We've done it with Luke Walton. Now we're starting to do it with Monty McNair. To me, the riskiest thing in the world is to go and trade some of your very high value draft picks to add players to this core who to this point has not proven that they could beat anybody. I just, it seems so like considerably more risky to add talent to what they have than it is to trade away some of your veterans to get picks and kind of put off the big decisions for later on. That seems like the, the smarter move. And also just like, if you're worried about your job or whatever, just the, the less risky maneuver too. Uh, the alternative of, of moving your picks at this point seems incredibly risky to me. Yeah. The only, the only way I would do it and I've, I've done it. So, but I mean, I think if, if in fact you felt the draft pick would have, you could get a player that would be better than who you were fairly sure you could draft. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, now that that's difficult to know, but I, I've always said, I, that's the way I felt about the third pick for Mitch Richmond. It's like, well, mm -hmm. I knew Mitch was a, a rookie of the year. Didn't know the third pick would be. Yeah. Uh, and, and I knew Mitch the second year was even better. So, uh, you know, I mean, so to me there, there was a risk. Because if Billy Owens, for instance, say he became the next Larry Bird, well, you'd have been sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, but I mean, so so there's there's I mean, to me, you yeah, you know, if there's a you're pretty confident. I mean, it's like say the king got the seventh or eighth pick, and and somehow or another, in my opinion, if uh, if Charlotte wants you trade you Miles Turner or Miles Bridges, excuse me, Miles Bridges. Uh, for that pick, I'd do that because mm -hmm. I I seriously doubt that the seventh or eighth pick is going to be near as good as Miles Bridges for many many years, if ever. So, you know, using those kind of things as an example. Jerry, is there any danger of I, I, I say danger, but this is this is professional basketball we're talking about here. Is that is there any danger that Monty McNair makes a big move, takes a big swing for the fences in the hopes of saving his job? Maybe he feels Vivek breathing down his Vivek breathing down his neck a little bit. And 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 thinks he might be gone in the summertime if they don't reach that that tenth seed or reach that eighth eighth seed. Is there any chance that Monty makes a big move specifically to save his job for another season or so? I think he'd have to be concerned. You know, I mean, I don't know his contract status, but I mean, I, Monty's a smart guy, and uh, he he kind of understands what's happened in the past. I mean, he's he's not oblivious to. Pete DeLisandro or Vladi Divac, right? I mean, so yeah, I'd, I'd have to think that would be a real concern, and and I mean, you know, and yeah, so 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 that is a bit of a danger to where you you don't know what 
uh, what demands or what's expected of him, you know, with that green light. Uh, you know, the, we've got to get that 10th or 9th spot at least type thing. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things now that, you know, if in fact to get the 10th spot, you, you get older and more committed contractually, uh, I'm, I'm definitely on the will train there that that would be, uh, you know, that that'd be a mistake because it just would, wouldn't have any long-term movement to it. Yeah. Now, the other side of this, of course, is, is there a world where Vivek Ranadive is convinced that blowing it up is the way to go? Because I don't think we've ever seen an AOK to fully tear it down from the Kings. I mean, Pete D'Alessandro came in here and traded for everybody and their mother in his, in his first season or so. But is there, is there any world where Monty McNair finally looks at this roster, finally has a come, you know, come to Jesus moment with the ownership and the rest of his management and goes, we need to, you know, I, I, you know, job security aside, this team ain't going anywhere fast and it's time that we, ship out the older pieces of this core right away yeah that's yeah that's a question that probably none of us can answer i mean it's certainly there's no indication of that, that that i've seen i don't know about you guys but it would have in my just what what i've read and what i've heard it certainly appears that they still believe this team is salvageable to uh to make a run at the at the play-in uh so so it, I mean, something would have to change. Uh, I don't know what your feelings are, but I, I, I just think that's probably still the goal. Yeah, Tony, is there any hope for Vivek in uh, being able to uh, see the forest through the trees here? Maybe I'm crazy, but when Vivek says that he gives Monty McNair the green light to basically do anything, I, I actually believe that Vivek is sort of taking a backseat. And I don't blame anyone for, for telling me that I'm crazy or you guys can, or, you know, we've heard the meddling rumors, all that. I understand. But Monty McNair, I mean, here's what I will say. There's no way in hell that if meddling Vivek was, was as active as we kind of want him or portray him to be, that he would let Monty McNair do nothing for two and a half years. Like this is not Vivek's plan. Vivek's plan is not, hey, Monty, let's be incredibly unexciting and continue drafting point guards and don't bring in a wing and do absolutely nothing for two years. Like that's not, Vivek's not telling him to do that either. So I do think it, it, Monty McNair has some agency over what's happening here. And, uh, you know, I do believe reports when, when they say that McNair is the green light to kind of do whatever he needs to do. So I, what, I, I understand that if there was a big move to be made, like if they were going to actually trade De'Aaron Fox, at some point, Vivek would probably need to sign off on that. But I don't think that's any different than ownership around the league anywhere else. If you're going to trade your best player, your star player, your future, ownership has a voice in that conversation. But I put what's happening right now way more on McNair than Vivek. And again, if you want to tell me that's crazy, that's fine. But I just don't think anywhere in Vivek's plans was, hey, we're, we're going to stand pat and we're going to have Vlade Divac's roster two years after I get rid of him. I, I don't think that, you know, that wasn't orchestrated by Vivek. So I do put this largely on McNair right now. You know, this is a scary, but I hadn't really thought of in that terms. And damn, Tony makes a good <laughs> point there. This is, this is starting to this is starting to get really depressing. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, uh, I don't have any happy things for you left here, Jerry, but uh, the next thing I wanted to figure out here is uh, we've talked about Buddy Hield and Harrison Barnes already, and uh, we can, we can include um, um, Holmes. We can include whoever the heck you want to. Is their trade value better or worse than at this point last season? Yeah, that's a great point. I, I mean, I kind of think that if, uh, you know, if Holmes were healthy, his, you know, his contract is a good contract. So, uh, and, and, you know, people know he can play. Uh, I, I would think his, his trade value since he's under contract and should be better. Now the not being out with injury, certainly sure. he, he's got to get back in there and, and play at the level he was playing at uh, whether, whether you could improve yourself by doing that, that's another issue. Uh, Barnes is, I think is, I still think it's better because he's closer to the end of the, of his deal. And I, and I think, uh, I think the league knows who Harrison Barnes is, you know, I mean, he, he's not an unknown quantity. I think everybody knows if you get Harrison Barnes, kind of what you're getting a guy that's a, a really good professional basketball player. And if you're counting on him to lead you somewhere, 
you're not going to get anywhere. Uh, but he can he can help you. And I, I think there's an awful lot of I don't think there's many teams in the league that he couldn't play for and play a lot of minutes for, if not start. So, so I think that uh, if, if, you know, if there is one guy on the roster probably has the most value as an asset of other, and I'd say probably, probably the most because of his contract. I mean, I think the, I've always said, I think the, the Fox thing, even if you decided to trade there and there's a lot of teams that just couldn't touch him because of the yeah. contract. Mm-hmm. And and then and then there's a lot of teams that already have young guards, so they they're not interested. Uh, so so it. But I think with Harrison, a two position guy, and that that certainly uh, you know you could fit him in as a off the bench guy, a really good off the bench guy. And even though the contract might be a little high for that, but uh, teams that are pushing for something, uh, I, 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 just my opinion. But and talking to. Some of the people I do talk to, I think they would kind of see it that way. He's, you know, he's a guy that, hey, everybody likes to some degree. This was one of those things that uh, last year when Monty McNair, there was hype building up towards the deadline of something happening. And then the deadline passed and Buddy wasn't traded and Harrison Barnes wasn't traded. And my voice was hoarse from screaming about how much they should have been traded. The the, the storyline was, well, they need to rebuild their trade value. You know, we're going to. And maybe this off season and the off season became, okay, well, maybe they're holding him on for a better piece this season. And we're now a month away from the trade deadline. And um, I've just been curious about it because I don't know if Harrison Barnes, if his value now, maybe the deals weren't there last year. We, we talked ourselves into a lot of deals that we never heard rumors about. Uh, but Tony, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Does Harrison Barnes have more trade value now than he did last year at this point? Does, does buddy. I think Buddy, Buddy, I mean, I would say Harrison and Buddy are probably pretty much the same, you know, because because Buddy, Buddy may be a little bit more only because his contract is declining and he's got less years left now. Barnes, more or less hard to say. I think it might be better this year because the market might be better. There's so many more teams in the mix that you're, there might be more players that are uh, more teams that want a Harrison Barnes than there was last year. And I guess you could say the same thing for Buddy Heald. So I, I guess I would say, you know, no change to their value but the market might dictate a, a better trade for the Kings this time around. If they have a more clearly defined path, like, Hey, now we know we need to blow it up a little bit. And now there are more teams sort of in the playoff mix. So, so the market could be better, even though the value is sort of the same, if that, if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. It was just one of those things that uh, you hear these storylines as they come out of, out of uh, media or fans or whatever. And you have to sit there and think a year later, how, how true is this really? And how much has, yeah. has Monty McNair been able to improve? If this team was near 500, I'm sure Buddy Heald's trade value would be a lot higher. Yeah. If Harrison Barnes as well. And it just hasn't reached that point. So it's like, well, what the hell is the point of starting it a year later? But, you know, I, I will say, and I, I, and I really believe this. I mean, the league, the league knows these guys. You know, I mean, and I don't think they're making the decisions based on who had a good game the other night or a bad game. You know what I mean? I know sometimes as fans, we think like, like that. Oh, boy, so-and-so was terrible. Who'd want him? Well, the same teams that wanted him when he had a good game. I mean, they sure. uh, certainly Buddy is not playing well, but, but he's a better player than he's playing. We've seen it for a couple of years. So the league has, too. And so I, I, I think I, I would – and you look at the trades that, that we – felt that they they're rumored of course that they had for buddy a kuzma montrez Harold kind of thing well well that's real value uh you know and certainly and credit to monty i mean he had a couple of you know dante di vincencio you know i mean was a the, the milwaukee thing for bogey would have been good but yeah. of course they didn't happen so you can't give credit when they don't happen but at least it's it's uh it was the right kind of value under the circumstances. So, so I, that part I'm kind of a, little, a bit encouraged by. You know that that clearly there seemed to be some some legit value there. You know, Jerry, I'm curious about the, these trades that didn't happen. You brought up something here that that made me think about a discussion that I saw earlier. Um, so sometimes we give Monty a little bit of, of hell for not having a a backup deal or like okay, so the Laker deal fell through at the last second. That stinks. Now, where where was the pivot? Uh, you know, how often as a GM did you stack up, uh, you know, a, a plan A, plan B, plan C in case the trade that you were working on fell through? Uh, very seldom. It's tough to do. 
-hmm. You know, I mean, really, it's pretty tough to get a deal you like in the first place uh, that that, you know, both teams would agree to. I mean, and, and certainly if you did have a plan B, it wasn't as good a plan. <laughs> you know, it's something you you know, if the plan A fell apart, you might say, I don't, uh, you know, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, it's uh, so, so I guess the next short answer, it's pretty difficult to, to have it that way. I mean, it, what doesn't happen is if you plan A falls apart, then you try to put together, uh, if you can, another deal that you'd be happy with, but that, that doesn't mean you can. Okay. I want to move on to something a little bit more fun, something that might, might lift your spirits a little bit, Jerry. Um, uh, earlier this week, Rob Hessing, um, uh, a fantastic writer and commenter on, on the Kings Herald and a, a longtime person for anyone who's been on Sacktown Royalty. He was there for a million years. Um, he brought up a, an interesting question that, that uh, we ended up turning into an article. And, and that hypothetical is what I kind of want each of you guys to go through. And that hypothetical is such. Um, you may add one player from Sacramento Kings history playing at their Kings prime. No other change can be made to the roster other than waiving your least favorite king to make room for the new player. Salary cap is not a factor, you know, not taking into any future assets or anything else like that. So, so who is the one player that you would add to this Sacramento Kings roster today to make the biggest difference or impact on the team? Yeah. You know, I, I read that of course, and, and Rob, uh, he is really a sharp basketball guy. You know, <laughs> I remember you, you, uh, you're reading him for years, you know, with Sack Down Royalty. I remember telling my wife once, uh, I said, man, this guy really knows his stuff. As I said, damn, he, I think he, he understands the league better than I do. And she said, really, do you think that? And I said, oh, hell no. I, I just said <laughs> yeah. it. But I said, but I, I definitely, uh, I mean, it, I don't think there's any doubt he's passing me by now, but uh Anyway, yeah, I really thought that was interesting and, uh, you know, and it brought up a lot of ways to look at it, but, but I, and I thought about it and I'll tell you exactly uh, what I would do. I mean, it'd be Chris Weber. You plug Chris Weber on this team, it'd be 10, you know, it'd be 10 games better for sure over a season because he, he fits exactly what they don't have. <laughs> you know, a, a, a power forward that can get uh, 20 plus, you know, he, uh, Chris, you get 20 and 10 in his sleep, not even sleep. I mean, he just could, he was that good and, you know, and a great pastor. So yeah, he'd make this, he'd make all these guys better and Alvin Gentry would become a much smarter coach. He'd uh, <laughs> yeah. be, a, he'd, he'd be drinking less. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <wouldn't> be meddling. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think that would honestly, I don't know any other choice you could make other than Chris, in my opinion. Tony, is there is there a second choice then maybe that you would have as a backup to uh, in case uh, Chris Weber was unavailable for Jerry? Yeah, Weber might not want to come back to Sacramento. I don't know. <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, yeah, Weber's obviously number one. I would just offer a nice consolation prize, and and Jerry would probably have a better number two answer because he has he's better with uh with King's history than I am for sure. But I look back fondly, and I loved that one really good run our test year in Sacramento. You look at this team now. Uh, what do they need more than a defender? Uh, a tough asshole defender who's gonna you know not afraid to fight some guys and, and score some points in his own right so I, I look at Ron Artest and just think wow this team desperately needs a fighter um a tough guy a good defender a wing and he checks a lot of those boxes for me yeah I'd agree with that too he'd have been my number two okay. I mean I guarantee you Ron would I mean Ron exactly I mean he's not as skilled as, as C. Webb, but I mean he's exactly what this team doesn't have because he well I've told the you know, the Larry Bird story so many times about our test and we traded for him, you know, that because I'd been involved with Jeff and he wanted me to tell him, you know, be honest with the Pacers about Paige and his back and what a good guy he was and what he, you know, his strengths and weaknesses. And so and Larry said, I'll tell you the true story about, about Ron, he, you know, and basically told me a lot of different things, but he's a good guy. Uh, teammates would love him, especially young guys, uh, which they did. Which they did. He was a dingy, a ding, a dingbat sometime. But uh, and he said, you know, he's like a twelve-year-old. He'll agree with everything you say, then go out and do just the opposite, you know. But then, but but then he said, he said, you know, and you, you can't help but like the guy because he's yeah. such a competitor. But he said, he said, and and I said this so many times, but it's true, and it's really came came true. He said one thing about Ron. He said half the guys in the league are scared to death of him. 
and the other half ought to be. And, <laughs> and, 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 and that was, I mean, and that was absolutely true. I mean, you saw it when you, when, when the Kings had him, I mean, he'd guard about any position and guys didn't want no part of him. I'm mm -hmm. telling you, you know, anybody thought, thinks that the, the NBA is different than it is on the playground, very foolish. There's guys that, that simply intimidate other guys. And, and he was one of those guys. And if there's ever a team that needed somebody like that, you know, it's, sure. I mean, Jimmy Butler's a little lesser version yeah. of that. You know, now I know Jimmy didn't play very well against us, but, but I mean, to me, that's who he is. Sure. He, he makes your team tougher, yeah. you know, and this is, if there's ever a team that needs somebody that makes you tougher, <laughs> it's him. So I'm, I'm on board with you, Tony there. there. So, so Will, we got a unanimous one and two, you got a three for us. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a three, and it's going to solve absolutely no problems, but it would make the, the team a lot more fun, and that would be a Peja. I think you'd slot Peja in there, and the Kings could score 150 points a night. They, they couldn't guard a fence post, but, but you know what? In today's NBA, Peja would already be a flamethrower, and with, with Halliburton being able to dish, you know, what it opens up for Fox in terms of the lane, Harrison and him being able to switch on defense a little bit or running four out and one in, I think that would be a lot of fun. And the Kings would still be terrible at defense, though I think Peja was a little underrated as a defender. Uh, uh, but but it would be it would be exciting basketball again at the very least. And and that's all you know. I'm tired of thinking about championships. Just give me something fun to watch, entertain me for two and a half hours, and I'll be happy. So I, I agree with Chris Webber as one, and Ron Artest as two, and we'll throw in the wild card just for fun and make it Peja. I wouldn't disagree with that either. I yep. mean, uh, uh, and and Pedro was an underrated defender. I mean, really, he'd look like a stopper on this bunch. Uh, I mean, really, he, I mean, a very underrated athlete, at, athlete per se. And I think with today's game, the, the amount of three-point shots, he'd even be better, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in today's game. And you'd probably see him play bigger, too. I mean, everyone plays down now. You get Pedro four super maybe small ball five you'd probably you know give up a lot on on uh defense but the nba is weird now and you can get weird with Peja. yeah okay so what we're gonna do is before we get to our patreon question of the day uh we're gonna do one more thing just to lift jerry's spirits before we we're gonna send jerry out on a high note today i don't want jerry feeling down and in the dirt before we, we <laughs> another two weeks here so uh jerry this is our our new segment that we started uh last time or I give you and Tony a chance to talk about anything else other than the Kings. Uh, you can talk about another game, another team, another storyline that you saw. Obviously, Tony can talk about baking if he wants to talk about baking. Uh, it was, it should have been about the sports world, but you know what? We're going to expand this to where we're not we're not going to be selective. You, you don't. I'm not going to be so desperate as to say it has to be about sports. Just something that you encountered uh, in the last two weeks. The only rule is you cannot talk about the Sacramento Kings. Well, I think for me. Uh, you know, it'd be John Madden. I want to talk about John Madden oh, a little yeah. bit. You know, he, uh, you know, obviously uh, just meant so much to football uh, as a coach, uh, broadcaster, uh, game, game guy, whatever. But, but to me personally, I didn't know the man. Uh, but, you know, as I got into broadcasting, you know, he was kind of my hero because I, I thought what John did and, you know, which is you was unique then is probably even more unique now uh, really provided, you know, his personality and his humbleness came across, you know, he was entertaining. Uh, I always thought, geez, that's, you know, if you could do something like that, provide, you know, provide information, but don't, don't wear people out. Don't, don't try to be a coaching clinic, but give good information, you know, and I, I just thought he was, you know, he was the top of the pinnacle as far as a color analyst in, in sports. And, uh, you know, I, I thought he really meant so much to football and, uh, you know, certainly missed, uh, you know, just a, just a special guy. But, I mean, you know, to me, he was just the guy that I wish more color analysts would try to copy instead of just hearing themselves talk. Uh, I thought he, he, made, he made games more fun. He made games more interesting. Uh, he, he, he even provided knowledge. And, and, and I thought the most important thing he did as a color analyst, which, you know, I certainly would try to do, not that I, I was able to, but uh, never forgot that the, it's about the game. It's right. about the game. 
not not all the other stuff but uh you know you you he was always and basically it was about the game so anyway that's that's you know very very much a great a great man for for his sport tony what about you well, I was going to take this in a different direction, but Jerry mentioning John Madden reminded, and I just want to say, I don't know if this makes the, I don't want to get too sentimental in the podcast, whatever, but Jerry, you were the John Madden to a lot of people, yes. you know, myself included. And it's maybe weird saying this to you face to face, but you were, you were my play-by-play guy. You know, you were the guy to me that made the well, game. You. Watch. Yeah. The one that taught me things about basketball, the, 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 um, what's the 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 level that i'm still searching for now as someone that i enjoy as much as i enjoy jerry on color commentary so to to hear you talk about someone that meant a lot to you as a color commentary person made me feel like i got to say like hey well i'm talking to the person that that meant that much to me as a color commentary person so i want to say that there um and just say as a my little my my spot here in this podcast uh, i was going to talk about secession because i didn't watch any games this week but Bob Saget, we also lost Bob Saget this week. I'll just say again, he was a guy growing up. Uh, my TV dad, right? Um, Full House was a, a an iconic show, something that I watched a, a ton of. And it's one of those things where it's like, shoot, man, I think I'm getting a little bit old here. You know, we lost Bob Saget. That guy, he's not supposed to die. That's that's Bob Saget. No. Um, so it, it's that that one made me sad. In addition to John Madden, so I guess uh, shout out to those guys. And and Will, maybe you can pick us up with something nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, hey. First of all, Tony, thank you so much. I mean, if I if I was ten percent of John Madden, I, I'm probably fifty percent more than I really <laughs> yeah. was. So if we're gonna play uh, one good thing about Jerry, one dead person, and one thing we watched this week. <laughs> Then uh, I guess I'll mention uh, a Betty White passing away being oh, being oh. my sad person of the, of the week because uh, uh, I grew up watching uh, Golden Girls oh, you know, yeah. reruns constantly. That was my I get home from basketball practice and we just run five miles or whatever else like that and be worn out. And my mom would be sitting on the couch and Golden Girls would come on and I'd watch Golden Girls until it was time for me to pass out and, and, and go to sleep. And uh, that, that happened five nights a week for like six or seven years and so the rosen island character and the whole group of the golden girls was absolutely my favorite comedy of all time so yeah. uh so so betty white is my uh person to mourn this week um my jerry anecdote would be that jerry very similarly i absolutely agree with tony that you were that you were absolutely my john uh, my john madden yeah well you guys you guys are embarrassing <laughs> me now jesus sorry jerry but i really did i mean i thought with john i i really tried to do you know, his approach to broadcasting as well as I could, uh, you know, in, in a different sport, of course. Yeah, but, uh, nice. you know, I just so it's nice. By the way, Betty White, uh, I became a fan of hers on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Sure. And uh, she was great. Of course, she's great at everything. She's kind of hot then, too. You know, but, <laughs> <She's> never, <yeah. laughs> you know. <laughs> but, uh, Jerry, I, I distinctly remember uh, in middle school, me and my friends would be watching the, and if we were in seventh grade, we'd be watching the sixth grade game. Or if it was during a tournament, we'd watch another game. And somebody would play, you know, uh, Grant and somebody would play Jerry. And, and we just commentate the whole game through and we, you know, we, I try to, you know, enact your voice a little bit and, you know, in seventh grade, that just sounds like I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I've just got an impediment of some sort, but, <laughs> but I distinctly remember trying to be Jerry much more often as often as I could be, because then I just had to make comments. I didn't have to, to do any of the play-by-play itself. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot better. <laughs> and, and so uh, the thing I watched, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll pull this back to basketball somehow is uh, watching Clay Thompson come back was, was nice. Oh, and, you know, that he, he, you know, set, he only played 19 minutes, but he had 17 points. He hit three, three pointers. He had a dunk that, you know, made him look like he'd been off for two years, but he was a little spry with a little dunk and uh and a block there at the end on uh, I think it was uh, Lori Markinen, but it, Clay Clay looked a little bit like Clay, and that was that was nice to hear for somebody who's suffered the last couple of years. So that sure was, you know, yeah. I think the whole league just had to be. I watched a good bit of that game just because of Clay, and not really preferred watching the Warriors as much as I hate saying it because of Clay, and the, as opposed to the way the Kings played. But uh, but he's a uh, you know you just hope he can stay healthy and. I wish him the best. You know, I mean, it's like say the Warriors. I'm, 
actually become I actually enjoy watching them play this year. I mean, they they do so many things well. You can't help but not appreciate good basketball. And so, you know, if there's ever a young man that deserves uh, good health, it's Clay Thompson. Tony, why don't we go down to our uh, Patreon questions of the day? Yes, thank you. Well, we've got a couple questions uh, this week that that are. It seems to be my bad for missing them. So, so shout out to me for, for being bad at this. Um, we got two Patreon questions. You can submit questions either through Twitter on the website at patreon.com slash Kings Herald. You ask questions to Jerry, uh, Will, and myself on occasion. We'll ask them either on this podcast or on the Patreon Q&A that we do once a month. These two questions fell through the cracks. So we're getting through them today. Uh, one of them I'm dying to know the answer to because it's so specific. I read it 14 times. I still don't know what it means. I think it's directed to Jerry and Jerry only. This question comes from Ray LaBeouf on Twitter, and he asks, uh, hypothetical two-on-two game, Jerry, senior high school year, who wins? Ligon and Cron versus Shellhouse and Humes. Who do you, what does this mean, and who do you got? Oh, well, that'd be uh, Jim, Jim Legan okay. and, uh, and, and Tommy Cron. Yeah, uh, Jim Legan played at Kokomo, 6'7". Tommy Cron, 6'5", guard from Tell City with the Kentucky and played on that with Pat Riley and that on that team. And then the other one was Dave Shellhouse uh, from Evansville North. And who was it? The last one? Uh, Humes. Oh, Larry Humes. Yeah. Yeah. I coached his brother Willie in uh, junior college at mm-hmm. Vincennes and Willie might've been even better. Uh, third in the nation and scored in Idaho state later on. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, who would win that? Well, let's see. I, I would, yeah, I would take, Probably, probably Tommy Cron and Legan because Cron definitely was a good defender and and he'd get the ball inside and Legan uh, really never played college ball. He was really would have been a, probably could play professionally later, but he went to the Globetrotters, and uh, I think I think that would have been a little a better two on two matchup. So, but uh, Dave Shellhouse. Uh, the big problem with Shellhouse and Humes is nobody would have passed. <laughs> I know both of those guys. And, and I know and Dave especially well, that Dave was my, my year. And I, I, I know Dave especially well, and he's a little bit like me, or except better. But if it felt like leather, he's going to shoot it. <laughs> Will, I'm dying to know. You got Ligon and Cron Yeah, no, I got Shellhouse and Humes. And Humes. I'm, I'm all about Shellhouse and Humes. If I can convince them to pass the ball even once or twice, we're okay. in business, so okay. uh, yeah. defense doesn't matter when I got shooters as good as Shellhouse and Humes. <laughs> yeah, Larry Humes was a uh, Mr. Basketball, and then he played at Evansville with Jerry Sloan. And they they won a small, small college un- unbeaten championship, and was drafted. Didn't really uh, do well, but uh, but you know, so you know, he wasn't as, he wasn't as good as Sloan in college, but he was awfully good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm incredibly glad, Jerry, that you answered that because I googled these names to be like who the hell are these guys? And I couldn't find anything on them. So I'm glad that you knew. Well, that's part of being, being old, man. That's a, you know, I remember stuff from 50 years ago. Can't remember what happened yesterday, but. uh... Well, I just want to say thank you to Ray for asking that question. And I would also say, this is a model question for, for what we're looking for. I want to get as obscure, weird as possible. Um, So that's a great question. My apologies for not asking it sooner. Yeah. Uh, Thanks Ray. Yeah. I love that too, Ray. I appreciate, uh, you know, someone that would remember those names. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic. Uh, next question. I also thought was interesting and I, I may have missed at some point down the road. This comes from uh, Twitter at minus five stars. And he wants to know, Jerry, who is your favorite basketball player right now that is not on the Kings? My favorite basketball player that's not on the Kings that I love watching, I guess. Well, Probably, it's it, 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 it's probably gonna open some wounds, Uh-oh. but it's probably Luca. <laughs> I really, I, I really like watching him. I, I you know, and I, I mean, I think he's got some flaws in his game, but the guy is just a marvelous talent, you know. And uh, you know, I think he turns it over too much, dribbles too much, a few things like that. But my God, what a what a great talent, and he's fun to watch and. Uh, you know, so, so, you know, he's, uh, you know, you know, he's kind of a, you know, throwback kind of player almost to the Oscar Robertson, you know, Larry Bird complete game, 
kind of thing, just complete skill set. Will, who are you liking right now? Who's your favorite uh, basketball player? I've got a halfway joking answer, and then I've got a completely 100% serious answer. And my only half joking about this is Alexei Pokashevsky. He, he, <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's mostly a joke only because he's, you know, he's averaging less than four points a game and he's coming off the bench for a team that's even worse than the Kings. But I, I really enjoy weird players or, or, you know, somebody like Giannis at one point was kind of a weird player that was like, man, he's incredibly tall and he's kind of got some point guard skills. And, and Alexi is just the strangest version of that. And, there was a, a play from last week that it kind of made the rounds on Twitter where he ran all the way down the court on a fast break and decided to try to reverse dunk it. And he missed it and then ran back down the court uh, blocked or, or uh, he blocked the shot, ran down the court, missed the dunk, ran back down the court, got a steal and put a dunk in. And like, it's the, it was the complete Poku experience where it's like, here's a young kid who, who doesn't know his ass from his elbow but has these flashes of talent where he's he's some of the most fun in the league. He'll he'll wrap around his back and and then uh, you know make a dribble through his legs and then throw a pass to the corner that goes wildly out of bounds. But when it works, it's it's beautiful stuff when it works. And so like he'd be one of those guys that you know if he was a middle schooler, I would love to coach because he's got it. He just doesn't know what the hell it is yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my 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 completely serious answer unfortunately is also luca i you know i know he complains a lot i you know he, he could be in better shape and whatever he's still a, a joy to watch in, in terms of basketball I, I i i he's one of those guys that not even for my king's bias i just like the way he plays basketball and and you know he's kind of doing it by himself over there in dallas and and that that appeals to me yeah. You know, my second, by the way, my second, third, I will say this. I, I think it, my second probably would be Steph Curry because I just sure. think he's, he's uh, changed the league in a lot of ways. And he's, he's just, well, he's just fun to watch, uh, you know, his marvelous skills. And then uh, Jokic, you know, yeah. uh, again, yes. I just, uh, I just love highly skilled players and, you know, he just happens to be, a, a big one uh, it may be a little slow but it's so skilled it's it just uh it's just marvelous so i mean i just say you know that the reason i say those guys because they're the ones I, i'll find myself switching around making sure i watch them you know so i think that's that's why it's a fair answer you know it's like if i'm not watching the kings and sometimes when i am watching the kings i'll turn to those games because I, I prefer watching those guys at times yeah, my answer is not particularly like a, um, deep or like a, a sleeper or anything like that. All I'll say is that he might, you know, when it's all said and done, he may go down as my favorite athlete of all time anywhere ever. And there's certainly some Greek bias here, but I love Giannis. I love everything yeah. about Giannis. Mm -hmm. I love him as a player, love him as a person, love him on the court, love him off the court. And depending on how the rest of his career goes, <laughs> you know, this guy might be just my, I don't know, my favorite athlete of all time by the time it's all said and done. So, so there you go, Giannis. Uh, you're my guy. Giannis is absolutely my second one, Tony. I enjoy watching him play. I, everything about him is is the way a professional athlete almost should be, and I, I have no complaints with the Giannis yeah. experience whenever I get a chance to watch. Yeah, he certainly. I mean, there's no doubt he can be. Before it's all said and done, you know, put him right in the top five of all time. I mean, this guy, and 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 as Tony said, I mean, you know, and you guys are, you know, staying at Milwaukee, mm -hmm. you know, making them a champion, and a guy that was drafted low. Nobody saw superstardom coming, but then again, nobody saw superstardom coming with Steph Curry or Jokic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that kind of thing. You know, yeah. that the guys that just, uh, just kept working at their games and became great. They yes. weren't great in year one, year two, whatever, but they became great. You know, yeah. Steve Nash was, Steve Nash was like that as opposed to, no disrespect to the LeBrons or the Jordans or the birds or those guys or magics. They were, they were great day one, but it's, it's almost even more special when it, when they have to do it uh, yeah. and they weren't uh, thought good enough to do it. Yeah. It's a enviable level of determination. It's just, you will not, you will not relent. You're, you're like, you're going to make it no matter what. And that's something that I'll always appreciate with the honest. All right. Well, let's let's roll over to uh, uh, Jerry. What do you got for us today for the Reynolds wrap up? Well, uh, I think the, the Reynolds wrap up today is 
It's Georgia and Alabama for the national championship in college football. And, uh, you know, Nick Saban, what can you say? I think, uh, I think they'll do it. I'd like to see Georgia win. I, I really would. I, I think it'd be nice. Uh, but it's another case of a lot of people want to take shots at the SEC, but there's no way you can. The SEC, I mean, you're seeing who's playing for the championship. And they said, I think what I was listening on Sports Center talking about, like the SEC champions have won 12 of the last 15 or something like that. And of course, uh, uh, you know, so it's pretty, pretty clear. And, uh, you know, I, I think it is, a, it's always interesting to me how Saban, Nick Saban and, and Bill Belichick were, have been lifelong friends. They coached together in college and or in the pros as assistants and things like that. I mean, you know, kind of greatness begets greatness. <laughs> I think sometimes, you know, we forget that. And that's why, of course, that's part of the reason I always say with the, with the Kings, if they ever, you know, hire another coach or GM or whatever, I, will, I just think that this franchise needs to focus on getting somebody who's done it. Whatever it takes, get somebody who's actually done it, not somebody that you kind of wish would <laughs> or or has hung around it, but has actually done it. And uh, so anyway, that's that's it for me. But I mean, yeah, college football, love it. Uh, love uh, pro football, love that. Love the NBA. And, uh, you know, as we get into the season, maybe, maybe uh, I'll have some real – interesting thoughts on the NBA we're getting close because when you get past the halfway mark you start seeing some real trends uh emerge so but I'll wait a little while on that my, my trends that usually work out usually work out I'm excited to hear that Jerry no that's I know good, you are that's a good that's a good teaser that's a good teaser for the next episode too you know okay. yeah I might I might throw, throw a few of those in you know what I always say stats that matter can end on a hang on a uh, on a cliffhanger over here all right well for everyone here at uh, at the king's herald i want to thank you for listening to another episode um hopefully you made it through the holidays safe and uh not too much heavier than when you went into the holidays and uh in two weeks uh, uh we'll uh we'll see where the kings are we'll uh we'll see what the world has in store for us and uh we'll talk to you soon thanks so much for uh, for listening